created live on Fireside. Alrighty. Welcome to another YNS live show. I cannot wait to introduce you guys to my guest, Fran Ricciopi, who wait until you hear this story because it is as, as he looks like a very young, young person. He's had a lot of life. So welcome, Fran. How are you? Did you call me old? No, I said you look very young. <laughs> I said you don't. The, the amount of life that you have lived, though, I mean, you would think, wait until you get into this, that you would that you are an older person and you are not. So welcome I, to YNS. I feel it every day. It's okay. <laughs> I'm sure. You guys are in for a very special treat, but first I want to talk about who this is sponsored by. So have you ever been listening to your favorite podcast and all of a sudden there's the moment that you're like, wait a second, I want to share this. Well, now you can, and you can do that with an app called Picked Cherries. It is so awesome. You can literally be listening. It's just like an Apple Spotify, but as you're listening to the podcast, that little moment comes on and you're like, okay, wait, I want to share this. You grab that Picked Cherry and then you can send it to all of your friends, you can send it to your family, you can send it to social media. So your friends and family can actually listen to that little piece, which I mean, how many times have you guys been listening to a podcast and you want to send it and then you send it to your friend or your sister, or your brother, you're like, you have to listen to this, but maybe it's an hour and they're like, yeah, I don't have time. But now you can send that little snippet that's going to get them hooked, just like an IG or a TikTok. And then they can share that and you can get more people listening to your podcast. So again, that is Picked Cherries. You can get that in Apple, iOS, and you can also get that for Android. So Fran, okay, we got a lot to talk about. Um, I want to touch on really quickly, Fran and I both are going to be at PodFest in Orlando uh, Thursday this week, and we're both speaking, which is really excited. I've been on the Jedberg podcast uh, that Fran hosts. And we had so much fun. He actually came to West Hampton and we did a live show, which was awesome, awesome. And Fran kind of reached out to me and said, hey, I have this idea. Would you want to do a collab with me when we're at PodFest? And as you as you get into this episode, you're going to see why we really mesh really well, but also why I'm so inspired by Fran, everything that he does and everything that he has done in his life to really get him to different paths in his life that he has followed passions. So we're going to be doing that at PodFest. We are going to also both be putting those episodes out. So we're going to be interviewing a couple of different people that are there, which is going to be really exciting. Um, so we're going to get into this. Fran, did you want to add anything to that long spiel <laughs> that I just <laughs> threw out there? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super pumped. So I was really fortunate to get to, to meet uh, Juliet a couple months ago now. Um, and we had we had her on uh, episode fifty three, and I did. I went to West Hampton. I took my daughter. Uh, she was my she was my production coordinator for it. the day. And I don't know if I told you this, but she took she took four hundred and fifty three pictures that day. <laughs> yeah. And if you remember, she had been kind of like slunched down in the chair and was <laughs> right. like totally just kind of like hitting the button. Uh, about six were usable. <laughs> and so we had we had a long conversation about actually caring about what you're doing for a few minutes uh, right. when you're asked to help out. But no, I'm super excited. The episode that that we did uh, did did really well. I loved the conversation with you, where you were coming from, your perspective on things, um, where you're going with with your podcast and and that direction. And when the Podfest opportunity came up, I said, "Look, I really love doing these live events because we had just." 
done a big one down in Jacksonville and I wanted to incorporate a co-host and I thought of no one better than you. And I think it's going to be an awesome collaboration. So everybody needs to wait and check it out. Yes. And thank you so much. And really, this is one of the things I love about Fireside is the interaction. Um, I'm really excited about it too. And when you said that, I I think I was in the car with my husband and I was like, oh my God. I'm like, remember? And he always laughs because I'm like, remember the guy that used to be the Green Beret? And and I give him like all your thing. And he's like, yes, yes, the Jedberg podcast. And I'm like, yes, we're going to do a collab at PodFest, which is going to be really awesome. But you and I even talked about as this like as we both grow, because we both are really growing with our space, because we really have found what we're meant to do, um, doing more collabs. So I want to start this. I first want you to just, and my listeners know, kind of just touch on where you grew up, a little bit of your background, where you went to school, and then we can, you know, really get into this episode. Yeah, absolutely. So I, everybody knows me mostly being from Boston, but I was actually born in Rhode Island. Uh, and so that was a big, big part of my life. Lived there for the first 10 years, moved to Florida for a little bit. And then when we moved back, um, when I was about 15, we actually moved to Boston and uh, outside of the city, lived in a town called Weston. I went to Boston University uh, for undergrad behind me, up above my head is my oar from uh, being on the Boston University men's rowing team. So I was a four, four year rower there, um, and uh, which also meant that I did not do ROTC. And so everyone says, did you do ROTC? Did you go to West Point? No, I went to Boston University and I was a college athlete and I never thought about really going into the army. And then uh, I had wanted to be a journalist. Tom Brokaw was my hero. He was, I looked at him, I watched him every night and I said, that's, that's my dream job. That's what I want to do. And 9-11 was my junior year. And so then I said, well, I'm going to be a war correspondent. Like, this is crazy. I can go out there. I can cover these war zones. And then I've talked, I've talked about it a little bit before, but then I watched Geraldo Rivera out and I don't remember if it was in Iraq or Afghanistan, but he was with an infantry platoon and they actually got in a firefight and he pulled out a pistol and he started running down the road with this pistol and he fell and he dropped it. And all these guys in the infantry squad start yelling at him and they're like, what are you doing? You can't do that. You can't have a gun. Why would you do that? And I looked at that and I said, nope. I'm never gonna do it, <laughs> and I Not remember that that guy. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I, do you really? <laughs> I totally remember that because I was in the city at nine eleven. Um, I lived in the city, and so and I remember because I always wanted to like journalism. Always was really you know something that fascinated me as well. And I remember thinking, oh, what a moron! <laughs> like, oh, bad. <laughs> but it really it was like one of those moments that you're like holy crap, why are you there? You should not be there. They should have people that should be. So go, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's, so it's actually one of my goals and I, and I throw it out there because I'm waiting for the person to be like, I can make that happen. I want to interview Geraldo Rivera. I want to tell him this story because he changed my life. He really did. Right, uh, which Tom I love. Broca, Geraldo Rivera changed my life. And then, and then I said, no, I'm going to go do this thing. And by that time I had watched the special forces had, you know, had, had in my mind saved saved the world after nine eleven, going into Afghanistan and defeating uh, the Taliban and and, and, take, and combating Al Qaeda. Uh, and I said, well, that that right there is what I want to do. Those guys have beards, they have long hair, they're riding horses. That looks crazy. Uh, and I had joined the army and went to officer candidate school with the goal of eventually becoming a Green Beret and uh, serving in the special forces, which I was fortunate enough to do and spent thirteen years in the military. 
So again, like when I think about this, I was in the city in 9-11, you were your junior year and you spent 13 years in the special forces. And I know we, I've listened to a number of um, podcasts that you either have been on or, you know, on your podcast talked about. And one of the things that I thought was fascinating and, um, and I always love to bring this back to um, athletes because I really do think when you're a college athlete, there is something kind of embedded in you. And it's it's really that workhorse. It's like that work ethic, but also with the military. I mean, you have to be someone that's like, okay, I'm kind of balls to the walls. Like you can't just be someone that's like, yeah, let me just try this out. I mean, you're a green beret. And in my mind, that's like the coolest thing. I mean, my dad was in the military. I told my dad actually um, that I was going to, they're dry. I, I wonder if my, is this my dad? Hold on one second. This might even be my, no, it's not. Um, my dad was going to possibly, there's a Mark with the C in the audience. Hello, Mark. Um, and then my dad has that uh, Mark with the C and they were going to try to listen because he was like, oh my gosh, I really, he heard our podcast together and said, this is really fascinating. My dad was in Vietnam and um, was wounded early on. So I have, uh, you know, and my grandfather was in, in the army, um, not my dad's dad, but my mom's dad. And so I have just a you know, such a respect for what you guys do. And, um, and so when you said, I'm going into the army, what did your parents, your siblings, like, what was the kind of thought behind that? Yeah, well, well, first, Mark, your dad, and thank you for your service. Uh, it's re- really, really important. I mean, that generation of you know, not only the Vietnam veterans, but the Korea veterans in World War II and everybody who served set the conditions for what really I, I truly believe has made this country the greatest country in the world. And, and we owe tremendous debt of gratitude to everybody who served you know, before, with and after me. So I really do appreciate that. Um, Thank you. My, uh, what, what did everybody say? Uh, what are you crazy? Uh, my dad said you need to go to the Air Force because you don't do anything. So no, no offense if the Air Force people will now they'll come after me after that. But they do do th- they do stuff. It's just different. They're really important. They've saved me a lot of times. Um, but, but that was my dad's perspective. My mom didn't really want to talk about it. Um, my my wife you know, now we've been together since we were in college, um, and I just didn't tell her. Uh, I just, I just went and did it. And you know, she thought I was going to move to, to Bangor, Maine and become a, a weatherman or something up there. So that had to have been shocking for her though, to be like, wait, what did you do? Like, yeah, she, in, in retrospect, she, she probably looks back now and she's like, well, you know, that I should have known back then that, you know, once you get these ideas in your head, you're just going to run with it. So I might as well support it, which is what she's pretty much done ever since. And I couldn't be more appreciative of that. Um, you know, certainly been for over 20 years now, you know, one of my biggest supporter and every crazy idea that I've ever had, but yeah, she, she supported it. And, uh, and, and I'll, I'll say, you know, you brought up athletics, I would never have been able to achieve success in the army and, and, and going to ranger school and graduating ranger school and becoming a green beret and, and passing selection and making it through all that. If I had never been rowing in college, like I honestly do believe that that set the foundation for absolutely everything that I was able to achieve in my, in my life, you know, personally and professionally, because the work ethic that is instilled in you, and I played high school sports, I was on the football team, I played lacrosse, and I had worked hard, but I had never understood what hard work really was until you compete at a Division One collegiate level in a sport like rowing, where I truly don't, there is no other sport that takes you from 
nothing, resting heart rate to complete lactic acid, you know, meltdown in, in a matter of you know, five and a half to, to six minutes. And that sport does that. And not only does it require an extreme individual effort, but it requires a team effort as well in terms of physical capability and technical capability. And when you take those components and then you say, well, how are you successful in special forces? The answer is really simple. Like when I was in college, I had to be number one. I had to be technically and physically competent as an individual. And then I had to do that with eight other people in a boat. And I'm saying eight people will say, there's only eight people in the boat. No, there's a coxswain. So you have to work with them too. So nine <laughs> right. people in this boat and everybody has to work together and, and it's, and it's precision. It's technically proficient. And at the point at which you believe you don't have anything left, well, that point in time has to get earlier and earlier in order to compete at the highest level and win. And what I mean by that is you can't wait for the last 500 meters of the race. You need to go from the start. Um, and that really teaches you what it takes to win. Right. And that's, I mean, when, when I learned that about you, I was like, oh, that, that makes sense that you have that background, that you played sports. And, you know, when, when um, again, you know, I played in college, I didn't play at the division one level, but I played two sports. And so it was one of those things that, you know, I had constantly, you have to have that in mind, but it's not only yourself, it's your team. And so, you know, I played field hockey and lacrosse which is, is different in, you know, with rowing. Rowing is one of those like gymnastics. Um, there's certain like sports that I, in my own head, and it might not be true in, in the world, but in my own head, gymnastics, rowing, and a couple other that I'm always like, you know what, that is like, you are in it and you have to be so, not just your physical, but you also have to be in your mind, right? It can't just be your physical. And my kids and I talk about this a lot. And I think you and I touched on this before, but there is something with talent versus working and worth ethic versus talent. And my kids and I talk about it that like you could be the most natural athletic, but you don't work as hard. And my, and my sister and I, this was, I was probably more naturally athletic than her, but she worked her ass off all year round. I was like, I took some time, but then the second we got into season is when I really worked my ass off. And as the time, as we grew, she probably became a little bit of a better athlete because of that. Like she never let up where I would some days like, eh, I don't feel like running the five miles. I'm going to take, you know, the, the cheat route, which I don't like to admit, but I would go and hide behind a tree with like three of my other teammates. And then we'd pop out and be like, woohoo, I did not do that all the time. Don't, don't think that, but it, it was just something different. Like when I swam, I sometimes would swim under the lanes. Like I, it's just me. Anyone that's listening is like, Oh, okay. I get it. Um, but so what do you think there with that like natural athleticism versus the worth ethic? And then, you know, when that's combined with one person, that's when you get that like 1%, like, you know, just crazy athlete. But you don't have to be a crazy athlete all the time to be the top of your game if you have that worth ethic. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I think that, it, well, first of all, it depends on what's your goal. So, I mean, I love that. It, it, it's really what's your goal. Do you, are you, I mean, I'm, you started with it, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm 41 now and like, I'm not a division one college athlete. I'm not a green beret, you know, serving at active duty green beret anymore. You know, like what I'm, I'm not competing in, uh, in obstacle course racing and, you know, and running, you know, Spartan races. Um, I'm covering them now. 
uh, you know, from, from the podcast perspective, right. and I'm kind of dabbling and messing around. But my goal right now is to just be, you know, is to be physically fit as best that I can be. And so that I don't want to ever be limited by my physical capability. And you'll hear a lot of professional athletes talk about that in their second phase after, you know, what are they trying to do when they stop competing? And that's very much how I feel. I want to be able to play lacrosse with my daughter without my knees hurting. I want to be able to yes. chase my son around. I want to be, you know, he's, he's only two. And so he's got a long way to go. And so I don't want to, you know, I want to be able to play with him in 10 and 20 years and not, and not be limited physically. So that's my goal right now. If your goal is to compete at, at a professional level and be competitive. What I say is that your raw ability is going to run out. Um, you're going to eventually get to the point where everybody has raw ability. Everybody has everybody. At, so I also work as the performance development coach at Boston university with the men's rowing team. And so I talk to the team and the, and the coaches and the athletic staff on, on the emotional and mental side of the sport and, and how that affects training and competition. And one of the biggest factors and things that I speak to them about, especially at the, the later part of the season, is everybody's put the work in. Everybody has earned the right to get to the starting line. But now the difference is the guys who did not what was asked of them, but what was right. required to win. And yes. that is a big difference. Okay. And I interviewed anybody who's really interested in this topic, and I'll put a shameless plug in here. Anyone yeah, who's really do. interested in this topic should should listen to the Jedberg podcast, episode 60. It came out last week. We're promoting it right now on all of our social media. Um, but episode 60 was with Josh Bridges. Josh Bridges was a Navy SEAL. He was a loan officer who never heard about what a Navy SEAL was. He was didn't know what he wanted to do with his life. Some guy was like, you should start doing CrossFit and you should become a Navy SEAL. And he was like, I don't know what either of those two things are, but let me check them out. Next thing he knows, he's a Navy SEAL. And then he becomes one of, one of CrossFit's biggest and most famous athletes. He just recently retired and now he founded a coffee company called Good Dudes Coffee. But what he talks about is our whole conversation is about this is that you think you're working hard until you walk out and you turn around and there's guys going back in right and that's Peyton Manning Tom Brady you know that's the teams that are consistently have it in their mind and he and Josh says this that that everybody thinks they work hard winners think they never did enough right and that's what he's talks about keeping him up at night. And that's the attitude that you have to have is, is, did I do enough? What else is there? What haven't I done? What do I need to be doing right now to better myself? And this doesn't only apply to athletics. If you, if you think about, uh, I did an episode 38 with, um, with his name's Harris Glazer. He owns a company called Midnight Express. They make, uh, if you know what Midnight Express is, if you're in the boats, you probably know what it is, but they're right. the million dollar power boats down in South Florida. And he says the entre uh, entrepreneur is the first thing they think about when they wake up. And it's the last thing they think about when they go to bed. And it's constantly, what haven't I done? What haven't I done? Yep. And it beats you up inside. In order to close that 1%, it's not what has been asked of you. It's identifying what's required to win. And are you willing to make that commitment? If you are, you'll be a champion. You'll be the most successful. If you're not, that's fine too. That may be all you, you might just want to be in the game. If being in the game is good enough for you, 
that's great. If you want to win, you have to find what that gap is and you have to close that gap. I love that. And you guys, you can hear, and this is where I, it's exciting to hear. So you, you heard that Fran was a Green Beret. He rode at, um, in Boston. And you can hear how excited he just got talking about his podcast. And this is where I want to kind of take this like a little, little, little pivot. But you, um, for 13 years, you were in the Green Beret. Tell us, because I know you were stationed in Africa for a while, and that was towards the end. And you said you met your wife in college and you joined <laughs> the army with her not really completely realizing when you guys were dating. Where did that lead you? And then how did you kind of decide, okay, it's time for me to exit the army? And then tell us that little story, because I remember listening to that a little bit, um, touching on, okay, I need to now get like a job. What do I do? Yeah. And take us through that path a little bit, please. Sure. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I joined the army two months after we graduated college and uh, went straight to basic training. The war in Iraq had started, went to my year and a half of basic training or initial training, went to my unit as an infantry platoon leader, went to Iraq for a year, 2005, 2006, and then came back, made the jump to special forces and then served in special forces um, until I got out in 2016 went to Iraq two more times as a special forces detachment commander. I also served um, in a variety of different uh, operations officer roles in running 18 teams and then an entire group. Uh, and I was the, my last job, I was the aide to the two-star general who commanded all special operations in Africa. And, uh, and so I spent about two years um, in and out of, of Africa. Uh, I lived on the continent for six months as well in East Africa. And so um, when I got out, uh, and, and I've talked about this before, um, I had not been home in in years. Uh, and the last time that my wife and I had been, you know, really like uh, together was in college. And, you know, we grew apart and, um, and our, our relationship and our marriage suffered uh, tremendously because of it. And we spent uh, about six years separated, actually. Uh, and, the, and that. so I got out when her and my daughter moved to New York and said, you know, if this is what you want to do, you know, then you're going to pursue it. But we don't, you know, we, we have other things that we want to do in life. And I had to make the decision of, did I want to continue to pursue this or did I want to try to, um, you know, repair a family and make that work? And so uh, I followed to New York. I went to NYU. I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Actually, I was completely confused and I had applied to hundreds of jobs at every company that you could think of. Uh, and I had um, not gotten very many offers <laughs> or, or any. Um, and, and there was a knowledge gap. You know, it was, it was, a, it, you had a lot of, of soft skills, a lot of leadership, you know, but leadership, and I, I give a lot of talks on leadership and I work with a lot of groups and I say, you know, <laughs> leadership, everybody has a different definition of leadership. And so it's difficult to quantify that. Um, what you can quantify are things like, do you know how to read a balance sheet? Um, do you know what a P&L is? Uh, do you know how to create a marketing strategy? And unfortunately, when all of your answers are, what is that? <laughs> I've never heard of that. You don't get a whole lot of jobs when you come out of the military. <laughs> so I kind of, I, I identified that the military trains you and every time you get promoted, every time you take a new job, they send you to a school. And I looked at getting out of the military very much the same way. And I said, well, I need to close a knowledge gap and I probably need to go get an MBA. And so I applied to NYU. I got in uh, and then I went um, and, and there for two years while I lived in New York. And we lived separate, actually. Uh, 
And so it wasn't like I went to New York and we just figured it all out and our family was back together. It took another four or five years to really work through that uh, as I went through my journey of you know being not in the military. And the only things that last thing I had known uh, was being 13 years in the past uh, and being a college kid. And right. so, you know, what, what do you do when you, when, when you leave one college and essentially the next time you have freedom is you're another college student, you end up acting like a college student. <laughs> so, so I did that and made a series of other, uh, you know, choices. You know, we could, we can argue were they poor or not at this point, you know, it's certainly there in retrospect, but the good thing is, is uh, put a lot of work in over the last couple of years, got our, our family back together. We had our son uh, who's now two and, uh, and now it has been a really, really exciting time. And uh, she'll kill me for saying this, but we're having another um, <laughs> <laughs> so in October. But don't tell her. Oh, amazing. Well, so I, and I, this is that and I, you know, thank you for sharing that because I know that's not always easy to talk about, you know, where you lacked, right? You, you did all these things. And what year did you guys get married? Did you get married right out of college? In 2005. So I got out of college in 2003. So we got married in 2005, right before I went to Iraq. Right before you year. went to Iraq. Yeah. And can you take us a little bit into like, what was the mindset of, okay, we need to get married before I go overseas? Was it because you wanted to not lose that? I'm just, I'm very curious. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I mean, we'd been together for I mean, on and off, even in college, you know, you always break everybody who has, right. you know, you know, you always break up for a couple of months here and there and then come back. <laughs> right. the way it is. Um, I don't know. We've been together for a long time, for you know, five, six years at that point. And it was like, Hey, I'm going to Iraq for a year. And, you know, I mean, if we're, we're obviously we see a future and we've made it this far and she had moved down to Georgia where I'd been training and then we moved to Colorado and we owned a house together and it was the natural progression of, well, let's, let's get married. And if we don't do it, if we don't do it now, we're not doing it for a year because that's when I get back. So, right. so that's what, that was really the driver decision. Right. No. And I appreciate that. I mean, cause one of the things that I always find um, you know, what I always say on my podcast and really, and I believe it in life that we all have paths, whether you believe in God, whether you believe in the universe, we all have paths and we meet people on those paths that are meant to be with us. And either those people bring you up or they bring you down. And it's a choice to make what path you're going to stay with or, you know, what people you're going to stay with. So obviously you guys really brought each other up. Like you're, you're, I mean, I, you know, I met your daughter. She's wonderful. Even though she didn't take great pictures. She was such a, I mean, she was really, you know, she jumped in and was like, here, you know, here, dad, I'm, I'm happy to help. I mean, we, we need to say, what is she 13 or 14? Yeah. 12. Oh, 12. Yeah. I mean, okay. yeah, you can't blame her. Yeah, totally. She thought she was doing a great job. Um, cause I have all those ages right there. So, um, you know, that's, there's something about that. You're loyal, you know, that says to you, you're a loyal person. Obviously your wife is too. And you guys knew, okay, let's grow each, with each other. And the fact that you decided, okay, after 13 years being in the military, I want, I don't want this part to go. This is, this is my heart. This is where I felt. Now that had to be tremendously difficult. I mean, I can't even imagine having to choose being like, okay, uh, because from what I, I read and what you have said, you loved being in, you know, you loved being a Green Beret. Yeah, I know. I absolutely did. Uh, I absolutely. Yeah, it was great. I, I, it was a, 
it wasn't a, a certainly was not a lifelong wasn't like I was a little kid and was like I'm always going to do this but you know I was I was pretty good at it and uh and I really enjoyed traveling and I loved I loved making an impact what matters to me is making an impact it still does and yes. so you can do that in a variety of different ways uh and so it's about how do you how do you choose to to make an impact but yeah every once in a while I, mean, I talked to my buddies who are still in and they only have a year or two and then they're retiring because they'll hit their 20 years so that's kind of crazy right uh, right because I, I think about all my peers it's like oh i could be retired in two years but then i'm like you'll now you'll never retire and so I, I look at it now and it's like well where would i be though you know i i think that if you look at your military career and the trajectory you, know, you, you it's kind it's pretty defined you know, you, you generally know, you know, by the time you've hit that 10 year mark, you know, if, if you're being assessed and groomed for future levels of command, or if you're going to be in a staff role or what you're going to do for the rest of your career. So you generally know, uh, the exciting thing, certainly have a, a lot of opportunities that will come your way that you can't predict. And there's a lot of great things that you can do. Uh, when you get out though, you kind of got to start figuring it out and, and there's excitement in having to solve that problem. Uh, and that's going to change a, a multitude of different ways. I think as you, as you grow and evolve and as, as you define who and what you want to be, I think if I look a year or two down the road and I say, put myself in that position and I'll be in that position uh, and I'll say, am I better today having gotten out uh, or would I have been better if I had stayed in? Certainly those paths would be been very different, but I think that I'll be very confident and excited about where I am having experienced all the things that I did from you know, 2016 to 2023. Right. And I have to say, I mean, just knowing you a little bit, I feel like I you know, know you enough that when whatever you do, you really put your heart and soul in. So I feel like once you made that decision, and correct me if I'm wrong, but once you made that decision, like, okay, no, I'm going to save my family. That's what I want to do. I want to be with my wife and my daughter. And I can say, okay, I did, you know, I impacted a lot of people in this part of my Green Beret career. And now I want to make a difference here and find out what's next for me. Do you think, and I guess my question is, do you, do you go back and ever regret or are you, what I in picture as you is you're like, okay, that was great. Now I'm on to the next thing. And now I'm on to making an impact in this part of my life. I think you got to be on to the next. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it gets you anywhere. And the times, the times have changed too. Uh, I mean, right. what, what we were doing during my, my time in is much different. I mean, this was the the height of Afghanistan, Iraq, and the global war on terror. And what's, what's going, you know, what the mission is right now is vastly different than what it was when, when I'm there. And so I, I don't know if looking back in that manner is helpful. Um, I totally agree. I think you got to focus on what's next and where do you want to be and what's, what's the next chapter look like. And I think uh, that's what I've, I've tried to really focus on. Yes, and you can see because now we're going to get into to, to this chapter. So you went to get your MBA, and again, thank you for sharing all of that because I know that's not always easy. Um, but so you got your MBA, and I know there was something that I read. You actually missed the deadline, and you called up and were like, "Oh, uh, oh come on, <laughs> you, you, got, you got to throw me a bone." Can you tell us that a little bit? Yeah, I missed the deadline for application for for NYU, and then I. And I just called and asked if I could apply, and I didn't. I didn't give them a chance to speak. I called the head of the admissions department, and I just 
they picked up the phone and I said, hi, my name is, you know, Fran Richopi. I'm Green Beret and I'm looking to get out. I want to come to the program. And I kind of gave this whole reason as to how I was in Africa and I didn't you know, expect to do this, but I really needed to be in the class. And, and then they said, oh, uh, okay, uh, fill out the application. And I said, oh, I already did. And they said, oh, okay. And I had done everything and I had already submitted it. And, and uh, lo and behold, there were, the normal class size is class size is sixty. Uh, our class had sixty one. So, so I, I, I like to think I was the, the one who created the sixty first spot. Right. Well, I love that, but and that's something that I want everyone that's listening to this to think about. Sometimes we make mistakes, right? We miss deadlines, but don't just be like, "Oh, I missed it." Call, find out, because it never hurts asking and kind of pushing and being like, "Hey, this is my situation." You know, I'm not making excuses for myself because it's very different. You know, kind of missing it because you were, you know, smoking weed and playing video games. Um, but you know, and and again, even if you were doing that and you missed it, and you're like, "I want to change my life," you have to think about that. And then you jumped into this MBA, and you know, you really kind of put both feet in and really, uh, really focused. Can you tell us when you got out of that? Because that was another part of the story that I was like, oh, yeah, this is so interesting, is the first job you got out. Because I love how, you know, anyone that's just joining, Fran spoke about, you know, he applied to all these different jobs. And when you, and you know, I'm a green beret, I have all these leadership, but things that, you know, kind of translate in the business world don't translate in the military. And so he had to learn. And that's why he went and got the MBA. Um, so when you got out, can you take us a little through that Um after you graduated? Yeah, well, I was very fortunate to have met a guy by the name of Rick Nelson, and Rick Nelson works at, at Merrill Lynch, and he was the first to expose me to this concept that now is a, a core tenant of the podcast and talent work group who I work with, and that's this, this concept of hire for character, train for skill. And so what that means is find people who have a demonstrated pattern of success in what they've done in their life. Um, they, they exhibit certain level of character and define those character traits. What are they? You know, we talk about nine on the podcast and those are the nine that are used by special operations command to assess and recruit and select talent. And then everything is based on the exhibit of various degrees of each one of those nine, but figure out where you're looking for, for in someone and weight that above technical skills, especially technical skills that can be taught. If you can teach someone of high character how to do something who has a demonstrated pattern of success other places in their life, you can really be confident that they're most likely going to succeed in what they're asking you to do. If their heart's in it. And I, I'll say that for a very And I love that. I love Um, that so much because, you know, like with my dyslexia and stuff like that, like that always, it's something that is so true. If you see something in someone, don't just assume, oh, they can't do it. And so I just, I love that. And that was one of the things that we talked about in your podcast. And I think it's just so brilliant. So please continue. Yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll they'll figure it out and you'll teach them. You'll, if you're willing to invest in the hard skills, they'll, they'll learn them. And so that's what Rick hired me at Merrill Lynch to do. And I was very fortunate to this day is one of my best friends and we're super close. Uh, And so I worked at Merrill Lynch while I was in business school and I was a financial advisor Uh, and I got, was, became a registered, you know, representative to the series seven. I sold insurance. I, I talked about people about investing with me. Um, And, uh, and and that's that's a great industry. I learned a tremendous amount. Um, but I said the phrase "if your heart's in it" for a very important reason. I have no doubt that I would have been successful had I lasted there longer than eighteen months. Um, but my heart wasn't in it, and and. 
and one of the most difficult conversations that I've ever had in in my life, personally or professionally, was the day I had to go in to Rick and tell him that I wasn't going to be staying past my graduation um, and that I was going to be going on to go do something else because this was the future of his business. And, you know, he really looked at the growth of his business and taking me on as a partner and had invested a lot of time and energy and effort in developing me over a year and a half. And uh, I just, I just woke up every day and I, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't able to give a hundred percent in my heart. And I'm, you know, you talked about you're all in. I talked about Josh Bridges and Josh Bridges says, you know, if you do it, do it to go pro. I'm a one or 10 person on the dial, you know, either I don't care or I'm all in and there's very little in between. And, um, and, and I just wasn't there. I did. I was on that, the one side of things. And so I had to go in and have that difficult conversation with him. Um, and then I went and I was the, the director of global security at Snapchat, uh, which was a great opportunity and a really exciting time to be at that company shortly after they went public and you know, was able to, to professionalize and grow their global security department um, across the entire world. So that was that was really, really cool. Yeah. And you know, I love what you said, because that's one of the reasons why we do get along so well, because I'm the same. I'm either a one or a 10. There's not a, not a lot in between. I'm all or nothing. And I want everyone, again, to listen to that. Because if you're waking up, like Fran said, he he just knew he wasn't in it. And I think that's some people have that quality where they can be like, okay, I know this is going to be hard, but I know that this is not right. I know that this is not right for me. And I'm also not serving the people that have invested in me. And so I owe it to them to be like, you know what? I'm not your person, but I so appreciate you for that opportunity. And then you find what the opportunity is that you're meant to do. There's so many people even today that are listening to this podcast or know people that are stuck in jobs or stuck in parts of their lives that they're just not happy and they're not showing up and they're not serving the people that they should be serving because they're either fearful or they are don't want to hurt people's feelings or they just don't know what to do. And so I think that it's so important. That's one of the reasons why I started my whole podcast and all of these different series I have is that I want one person to be listening to this being like, you know what? It's my time. I need to I need to resign and I need to figure out what, what to do, or I need to change my life. I need to get out of this relationship, or I need to get out of this part of the world that I'm in and I need to move to a different place because it's so important. We all just have one life. And if you're just going through the motions and you're kind of an autopilot, what kind of life is that? You know, and we all go through periods, you know, I'm not always woo like this, you know, there's some days that I'm in autopilot, but that's, that's, you know, we're humans, but I know when to turn that autopilot off and go into, you know, what I'm meant to be doing. So Fran, I love that, that you had that hard, you know, conversation. And you said, if, if you didn't have that, your relationship with your friend, and I forget his name, I apologize. Um, Rick, if you did not have that conversation and you stayed in that position, cause you were like, okay, I can make a good living. You know, I have a wife, I have you know, a daughter. Um, I know I can make a good living and I just stay there. What would, you know, what would have that done to the relationship with you and Rick? And what would that have done to the relationship with you and your wife that you have, you know, now mended? Um, like really think about that, right? No, I think I'd be in a completely different spot. Right. So, I mean, I mean, it's just, it's one of those, I think it's, it's one of those, you look back on your life and you think about decision, you know, you, you, life's a lot like a football game, you know, a Super Bowl, right? They talk about, super, you know, Super Bowls often come down, most often come down to like two or three critical plays. And if the play had kind of gone the other direction, it would have changed the momentum and would have possibly had a different result. 
Uh, you know, that's one of those periods of time where I look back at my life and, you know, if you could sum up, you know, the, the three or four decisions you made in your life that really swung things a certain way, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's one of them. Yeah. Sure. Right. I love that. So then take us then, and, and really, because I want to get into, I know we have like about 15 minutes. I want to get in like how you found the Judd Burrow podcast, but also what you're doing mm-hmm. now, because you have, a, you know, like there's been a couple of times where we've been talking, you're like, I'm in India, I'm over here. I'm like, wait, where are yeah. you now? This is so amazing. So take us through a little bit of that. And I do have to pause because am I not right? I would love to hear a sound of applause of anyone that had listened from the beginning about everything that you're talking about, I mean, you would think you were like 65. <laughs> you have lived a life. <laughs> but you have a two-year-old and you're in your early right. 40s. Um, but right. that's, you know what, that's one of the things I find fascinating about you, though, is that you really are like, I'm going to do what, you know, you're, you're, you're going, you're looking to better your life. And that's what I think is, is, is so many people are lacking. So explain what you're doing now and then how, you know, the podcast came about and some of the live events that you've been at and, you know, all of that good yeah, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, 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 was, I stayed at, uh, at, at Snap for a year and a half and um, had a, a hard lesson in corporate, in corporate environment. Um, and the fact that you can't, you can't jam change down people's throat. And so I had a difficult, difficult run in there, but learned a lot and became, came out a better person. Uh, and then I went and I, I ran a, uh, a cannabis company in LA. Uh, and that was, that was really, really cool, uh, for a Russian oligarch. Uh, right. and then wow. when, when COVID started, um, that investment was shut down. And so unfortunately, um, I had to sit there at COVID like so many people did and said, <laughs> Who, who am I and what do I want to do with my life? Because I need right. to figure all this out. And our son had been born on March 17th of oh. 2020. Wow. So in, in Manhattan, and we were the only people uh, on the street, you know, that, on, on that day. And so that was pretty crazy. And then it was a matter of figuring out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And as I sat there uh, contemplating that, you know, I, I went back to things that I truly cared about where I had kind of started and life comes full circle sometimes. And I said, you know, it's, everybody's, uh, at first I said, I should write a book. And then I was like, well, I talked to a couple of people and they're like, you should think about a podcast. And I said, well, I have a lot to say. Um, but what would I talk yes. about? I have no idea. And so then I started kind of formulating what that might look like, got involved with an organization called the Talent War Group, who's one of our sponsors and very influential and started helping us start the Jedberg podcast. Um, they had written a book called The Talent War on uh, translation of special operations mindset and special operations character into corporate organizations and, and other organizations. And so I was very close with uh, with them and they I went to them and I said, I want to start a podcast. It's going to be called the Jedberg Podcast. We're going to take the Jedbergs from World War II, who were a transformative organization, who uh, what I call visionaries, drivers of change, those dedicated to winning, had to win at all costs. And if you're not familiar with, with the Jedberg and Operation Jedberg of World War II, uh, in May of 1943, the Allies identified that the war was all but lost. Germany had occupied France. Uh, London was was under, un, under siege. And they said, we have to invade France. Normandy was the only way into France and to a, a Operation Overlord. Uh, but they couldn't do it because Germans had superior machine guns. They had uh, entrenched positions. So they had to create this organization. They recruited 100 people each, 
from the French, British, and American militaries. They sent them to Jedburg, Scotland, in the northern uh, northern portion of Scotland, and they trained them in three three man teams: one American, one British, one French. Starting the night before D Day, they parachuted them in behind enemy lines into occupied France, where they linked up with French resistance forces. They trained them, they equipped them, and then they conducted sabotage and subversion operations against German reinforcements into Normandy, creating instances where movements that should have taken the Germans two to three days were taking upwards of three to four weeks um, because of the, the work that they were doing. And that allowed enough time for the invasion forces to gain a beachhead, put enough troops onto the shore in Normandy, and eventually move into France, uh, and the Jedburgh organization was transformative in winning the war. They were given very little guidance uh, in terms, and they were just given a vision, right? go, go win, win uh, at all costs, <laughs> and that's what they did. And that organization went on to form oper- the operations directorate of the CIA when World War II was over, and then in the early 50s, they were taken out of the CIA into the U.S. Army, and they became the Green Berets and the Army Special Forces. And so my lineage as a Green Beret goes back to the Jedburgs. Jedburgs. And today I tell the story of modern-day Jedburgs in business, athletics, entrepreneurism, uh, social activism, journalism, military leaders, political leaders. Uh, no conversation that I'm not not willing to have from all different industries and walks of life. And uh, and. And, and and people can hear the excitement that you have just talking about that. And I know I was so honored to be on your podcast. Um, and we had such a, a anyone that's just joining, um, Fran actually came to West Hampton Beach and we recorded live, which was really, really fun. And I think I came, my episode was right after New Gingrich. And I was my, I like, yeah, I think it, so. Yeah. And I sent it to my friend. They're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think you're doing. I think you're doing pretty well. I said. I think my podcast is doing pretty well. <laughs> One of those things. Um, and so, I, and I love that you just explained all that because you could see why it made sense to be called the Jedburgh Podcast. So, do you want to tell us a couple different guests? I mean, I know you've had some really, really cool guests on, and it's good. Mm-hmm. Like when people say to me, "Who's your favorite?" I'm like, "I've had 155. <laughs> I can't. I can name some, you know, experiences that I remember people talking about, but I, I don't have." There's no like favorite because they all inspire me in such a different way. Every time I talk to someone that is making a change, someone that's doing something like you did, where they really have pivoted their lives into into something that they've dreamed about and wanted, and and kind of you know have gone in fearlessly, not nervous. Being, I mean, obviously nervous. I shouldn't say that, but like you know, I'm nervous every day. Every day, I know. And so that's why when I said that, I was like, no, I didn't mean that because we're all you know we're all nervous, but we're we're not letting fear stop us. We're not letting fear or okay, well, what if this doesn't work? Stop us. We're going out and doing things, and you really um, have done that so beautifully. So, do you have any like moments? You know, I know you just came back from a live event and you've done some really cool things that, you know, stand out in your mind. Yeah, we, we've been uh, extremely fortunate. I couldn't be more appreciative to all the support that we have. Our, our title sponsor is Jersey Mike's. Uh, so Peter Cancro, founder of Jersey Mike's. So I met at Merrill Lynch. Uh, right. And he's very close with Rick, uh, with Rick Nelson, who I talked about. And so they actually... Um, he then I when I started the podcast I made the list who are the people I would talk to okay who's in my phone who can I call who should be that first yep. tranche of guests and I called Rick and I said hey you think Peter will come on this podcast I want to talk to him maybe he has some good ideas and so he said yeah try him and 
and Peter was absolutely adamantly uh, supportive of it. And so we had him on. It was like episode two. It was really our first external guest. And um, and then we were fortunate to just build it from there. He launched us um, and then has come on this year in 2022 after we I went back and said, look, I told you it was going to work. <laughs> right. um, and, and thanked him. And then they came in uh, as our title sponsor. And, and we have had, as you mentioned, Newt Gingrich. We've had NFL players. We had Austin Colley, who was an NFL wide receiver. We had Jesse Graff from American Ninja Warrior and, and Stunt Woman. We had, we've had a series of Olympic medalists. Um, we had Je- Jebby Stone, who's an Olympic medalist in women's rowing. We have Laura Wilkinson, Olympic gold medalist in women's platform diving. Um, we've had the Secretary of Defense, former Secretary of Defense under President Trump, Chris Miller. Um, we did a big episode on Afghanistan where we had, right at 9-11, we had um, an, uh, an Afghan immigrant who had been evacuated out of Afghanistan. We had Chris, who served not only as the Secretary of Defense, but was in one of the first Special Forces teams into Afghanistan in 2001. And we had an organization called No One Left Behind um, and two of their board members who were also Army veterans and everybody shared their 9-11 story and then talked about the withdrawal out of Afghanistan. Um, we have had General McChrystal, um, for those who might know General McChrystal. Um, we've had very famous, uh, a lot of athletes. Um, we've had Jason Kalipa, who won the CrossFit Games in, uh, in 2008, started a, a gym franchise. Um, I could go on. It's been, a, it's been a really amazing experience for us. We're starting to incorporate live events. We went to Jacksonville last month to an event called Sandlot Jackson, the first ever Go Ruck Games, and we covered that three-day fitness festival. We we did 12 episodes. We recorded down there. Um, we've launched a short-form series, so our long-form series releases on Thursdays. They're about 50 minutes to an hour and a half, um, depending on, on who the, what we're talking about and, and who the guest is. Those release on Thursdays, and we've started releasing periodically on Mondays a short form called Jumping In. So the Denbergs jumped into World War II. It was fast and swift, and we do a short form, 15 to 20, 25 minutes on a short form one uh, on series of Mondays. We just today launched uh, a conversation with the Green Beret Foundation um, and, and that's allowing us to talk about one subject, you know, really in depth, really quick. We did an episode with, um, we did an episode with the former head of the CIA, uh, operations D- directorate who had also been on episode 13 about Ukraine and Russia and the situation there. Right. And so we've had a lot of fun doing that. And so, uh, we're doing as many as we can in person. Uh, we, we are doing our live events in the back of a world war two, Land Rover Discovery Ambulance that was used by the British Royal Air Force. Uh, and we there's a podcast studio that we built in the back of that. And so we're getting that thing out to live events. We're going to go to the Veterans Day Parade um, in New York City this year. And, we're launch- and we are finalizing a number of other live events for the fall. I love it. I mean, you guys, and you can hear, you can hear the excitement that, you know, Fran, what you're doing. This is, it's so cool where your, you know, your journey has taken you. And I have to say, Daniel in the audience said, impressive list, um, you know, that I know if anyone else has a question, please, you can go to the React um, over here with the little hearts and you can put a question and I can ask Fran because I also want, um, we, in the beginning when we started, uh, Fran and I talked about, we're going to both be at PodFest, uh, which is in Orlando. It's a convention, a podcast convention, and we're both going to be speaking at separate times. And uh, 
Fran approached me and said, Hey, would you want to be my co-host? I would love to do like a live, you know, event. I know you did it at the Super Bowl and all these different things. And I said, Oh my gosh, I, I don't even need to know anymore. If you're doing something, I a hundred percent will do it together because we do. I mean, anyone that's listening to this, I feel like we're very similar. Um, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm older, I'm a female, you're younger, you're a male, but we have the very same um kind of worth ethic and also our the way our brains go where we're excited. When we get excited, we get excited. And when we say we're going to do something, we are going to do something. So I would love before we wrap up, because you did touch on this, how did you become the performance coach for the, um, <laughs> for the, the rowing? I mean, that's, I love that because yeah. you, you have your, you have your hands and feet. It's not, you just don't have two feet in. you have like every hand, every foot, every fiber of your hair into different things that I know, um, you know, are just helping more people. Yeah. Uh, so my, my day job uh, is actually I'm the chief people officer of a company called Analytics Solutions, which is a back office um, back office outsourcing company out of Boston. Um, we have 800 employees. Uh, and so that's my that's my day job, actually. <laughs> and so right before we hopped on here, I, and I also run marketing. So I run marketing. I run people. And so I was having a conversation about a marketing campaign that we're about to launch before I jumped onto this. Um, but I. I I have been very involved with the rowing team since I graduated. Um, certainly my time in the army, I was much more distance, but since the last couple of years I've been involved with them and um, just a passion of mine to give back to, to the community and the next generation of leaders. And I want to see the team succeed because uh, I put a lot of, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into that river uh, on the Charles River in Boston. And so um, I had the opportunity to speak with them, you know, ad hoc over the last couple of years, but I built a relationship with the coach. And this year we said, you know, how do we develop a formal program? Because I run leadership development programs for teams, individuals, and organizations as another side, um, you know, side, side business <laughs> that I run under my own company. And right. so we work with with teams, with individuals, with corporate entities on identifying you know, not only corporate structure, but building, you know, we, we run team building events, we do coaching and mentoring. And so now we've transitioned a portion of that into development of the team and working with the team and, and the athletes. Uh, and plus I'm able to speak from my own experience, which is right. a, a really great uh, opportunity to be able to identify with them. And then we're building our team building programs with, with a number of national national big companies that will be published here in the next couple of weeks. So we're very excited about that as well. So yeah, the days start at 4am and they end about, about 10pm. Right. I was going to say, you are, and so you probably are slightly harder working than, than I am. You probably didn't cut the corners in your five miles when you ran, when you ran like well. I was doing, <laughs> like I was doing. Um, so please also tell everyone where they can find you. Cause I know people, and then Daniel, I'm going to ask your question in a moment, but I know there's so many people out there that are like, okay, I, wh wh where can I find, where can I learn more about Fran and what he's doing and how can I get involved? I mean, someone might say, I have a great, you know, guest for you to have, or I, I want to sponsor the Jedberg podcast. So please, you know, shout out, they can see in the fortune cookie, you know, a little bit, but also give us, um, you know, yeah. people that are driving that can't be reading right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. Guest recommendations and uh, sponsorship is are always welcome. So please, <laughs> <laughs> please reach out. Uh, no, you can go to Jed, uh, www.jedbergpodcast.com. Um, we'll, we'll get you to our site. All of our episodes are on there. Um, every episode has its own individual page with a full transcription and an embedded player. So you can listen to them there and anywhere where you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, um, wherever you get podcasts, we're most likely on there. We're on 30 something platforms. Uh, you can go to Instagram, Twitter at Jed Podcast. 
uh, LinkedIn is Jedberg Podcast, or you can find me, Fran Richopi, on LinkedIn. All of those, Richopi Fran on Instagram, but if you put my name in the right way, it comes up too. Uh, right. So yeah, follow me on, on all of those, all those different platforms. And you're also going to be on Picked Cherries soon as well. Yeah, right? so we just uh, had that conversation yesterday. So, um, so yeah, we're we're finalizing that, wrapping that up here this week, and then we're gonna we're gonna meet with them when we're down there at Podfest and, and talk a little bit more about getting on that platform as well. Yes, and and Stuart, who Stu, who's one of the founders of Pick Cherries, actually, when we're at Podfest, we're gonna talk to him because he's gonna be there, which will be really really fun. Anyone that has not gone over to check out Picked Cherries, or if you're listening to this episode. Um, now or later, because it's going to go out on my RSS feeds, which will go everywhere. You can also go to Pick Cherries and get that little snippet because there might be a snippet that you're like, oh my gosh, I want my friends. I want someone to listen to this where you can share it. And they might say, oh, this is now or I don't have time because I'm not as invested as my sister, my brother, whoever it is. But when you send that little clip and they get that little clip that lights them on fire, just like an Instagram, you know, like an IG or a short or, you know, a reel, TikTok, this is very similar to that. And it's really exciting because then you're able to share podcasts like never before. So definitely check out Picked Cherries. And I have to say, Daniel said, what legacy do you want to leave? That's a that's a great question, Daniel. I've I've never I've never been asked that question. Um the 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 legacy that I want to leave is was was I a person that Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you this way, and this just came up this week. Um, very simply, I'll give you a short answer, and I'll give you a long answer. Um, there's a difference between being a good dude and a nice guy. Uh, and if you and and I just posted about this yesterday because I had this conversation with Josh Bridges. But I want to be I want to be a good dude. Um, there's a lot of nice guys out there, but a good dude is somebody who impacts other people and leaves organizations and people better than than they were when they met them and that's my goal um and so we don't always you don't always get it right in life but if you're if you're a good dude people understand that especially if you have the character to own up to your mistakes and make the corrections moving forward in the future um and that's something that i've strived very hard to do through the course of my life uh and that's the impact and the legacy that I would like to leave for my family, my kids, and anybody who uh, takes the time to invest in hearing what I have to say uh, and supporting us. And, and we put a lot of work into 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 that attitude, I think. You definitely do. Thank you, Daniel, for your question as well. Um, I mean, you definitely do. And it shows with everything that we just discussed. And I'm, you know, so I'm just happy that we connected. Funny enough, you know, anyone that listens that knew that I had Connecticut ties, uh, Fran actually lives in two towns like over from where mm -hmm. I lived for over eight years, which I was like, wait, where are you? This is crazy. Now, like there's even more ties. And his daughter plays lacrosse, which um, we know how much I love lacrosse. So I, I was excited to hear that. But I just, you know, Fran, again, thank you. Uh, so much for joining YNS Live um, and Fireside. I mean, this is what I love about Fireside is that people on LinkedIn are listening right now. You know, they might not know about Fireside. We're getting that out. We're, you know, yelling from the rooftops because this is an app that's really helping change the way we um, share podcasts, not even just share podcasts, but we we do podcasts. So I'm on right now YouTube Live, I'm on LinkedIn Live, I'm on Twitch Live, and I am on Facebook Live. And so anyone that's kind of scrolling through there during their lunch hour is able to see us and listen to our um, our episode. But now they can also 
jump into Fireside because they can see and look and feel and then become a member of Fireside and then share it from here too. So it is such a great app, a great space for us to be able to share these stories and get them out to more people. So I just want to thank you so much for being a guest on YNS Live and um, joining. And I can't wait to see you in like, what, four days? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's coming It's coming up fast. So we've got, yeah, we got some work to do between <laughs> now and then. But my other two microphones showed up. So we have a four microphone set now. I know, which is just amazing, which I mean, it's, it's just, it's so, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. And, and we will be able to share that with you guys and you can either catch it on the Jedberg podcast or you can catch it on your next stop, which is, you know, my main uh, podcast. But again, thank you, Fran. And I know you have a busy day ahead of you. So um, just, uh, you know, good luck with everything. And I will be seeing you in a couple of days. And thank you everyone that has joined the audience right. and asked questions. And uh, we will see you guys soon. Thanks. All right. I'm going to bring Mr. Waitbot up for a little music. Oh, we got a slow exit. <laughs> we had we had the poke in the beginning. Now we have a slow exit. Thank you, everyone. Bye, Fran. Thank you so much. Bye.